But I want to just remind you of something we talked about in Galatians 5, and I'd like you to look there. And it is so fitting with our testimonies this morning. One of the things I had listed out is a whole list of friends of mine, names of people I know, and uh, stories that I've had in my office, and friends that I've served in churches with over the years, and in ministries, even some from, of you from here, who've overcome something... Um, with an amazing amount of grace in your life, your uh, wounded past, as we heard the testimonies, um, the challenges of, of uh, difficulties in life, and uh, or just an enormous amount of sin and, and uh, abuse and temptations and failures and those kind of things. And I had I had several of them listed, but it's almost unnecessary because our two uh, guests today shared so well um, how the Lord has blessed them, and their story fits exactly what the message of Galatians is. Remember the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, just by review. I've been over and over this, but it's so important we get this as a church. Our whole church depends on us facing these truths clearly. The Bible says, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And Galatians 5, verse 1, New American Standard says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Don't Bring yourself back. Now, Paul's challenge initially uh, in the book of Galatians is that there's a group of Judaizers, religious people, that are trying to lure um, the Galatians back into a, a place where their salvation is not just dependent on grace, but their sanctification, that's their ability to mature and become Christ-like, is dependent on their obedience to the law. And there's a whole bunch of law... Uh, that the Judaizers wanted to inject into the Christian faith and say, look, if Christ saves you at the cross, that's fine, but you've got to have some boundaries and some rules and some laws, and that's what's going to keep you righteous. And the Apostle Paul says, don't you dare let yourself get caught up in that because it's going to lead to the fact that your salvation is based on you and not the work of Christ. And, and uh, we've been over and over and over from Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, it is the work of Christ that, that did everything we need. He rescued us when we were unable to rescue ourselves and, and He saved us. And now Paul's saying to the Galatians, He's actually the sanctifying work that you need. You don't need to get focused on a whole bunch of little nitpicking laws. And so one of the phrases we used at the end of last week's message is this, what grace should do in our lives is turn us into joy-filled, servant-hearted, reconciling, heart-healing Christ followers who can't wait to help others. And I think I printed that out in your notes for you. Um, so that was on a, not on a slide, so it's all right. Um, but that was last week, and I think it's on your notes. Grace should literally turn us into these servant-hearted people that can't wait to serve. Because Paul says, stand fast in your liberty, you're free. And then he, verse 13, 513, he says, because you, you're called to freedom, but don't let freedom give you an opportunity to, to your flesh, but rather serve. Rather serve. You're going to feel this real strong coming into January um, as we come into our Vision Sunday um, message. But, but the opportunity to sin or the opportunity to serve is what grace brings into your life. When you're given an enormous amount of grace, the grace of the cross, and we talked, this is our last week's sermon in, in a nutshell. You're given an opportunity, you can choose to sin because you're free now. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Or you can choose to serve. To serve the one who paid for you. And of course Paul's saying, you're supposed to serve. 
And he says the whole law, if you look at verse 13, the whole law is fulfilled in one word that you... <laughs> that's the Joe Biden joke I used there. But in one word that you should love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law fits into this one concept of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, as Paul quotes. But then he says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. All of us go through all kinds of life-altering events. Um, I remember um, the life-altering moment that I had at the front of this altar um, on May 21st, a long time ago. I stood next to this beautiful bride and uh, James Rayford, a minister from our Bible college stood on the other side, and uh, he said all these very important words, and the next thing you know, I'm wearing a ring, and uh, we're together um, forever, <laughs> and uh, we're off to um, Destin, Florida for our honeymoon, and then a few days later, we're in Birmingham at the little house a church had uh, given us as a youth house to stay in, because I was a youth pastor there, and then we're driving back to Mobile on a I think it was a Friday night. We're driving back to Mobile. I'm in my Mustang, and I've got people lined up to help me load up a trailer and some other stuff and follow me in a truck back to Birmingham. We had some furniture down here in my mom's, uh, mom and dad's shed, and so we're kind of coming to get all that, and I think it was actually y'all's old couch, Kathy. Honestly, you had that couch for years, and, uh, but uh, Kathy and Lynn had an old couch that I had, and, and uh, I just remember coming back to get all that, and we're driving back down the interstate. We're at about uh, Bruton, and we stopped in Montgomery and made a made a pay phone call. Some of you don't even know what that is. <laughs> made a pay phone call back home. Tell mom we're running late, but we'll be there. And, uh, and everything seemed to be fine. And then almost to Bruton, my wife reaches over. Um, we've been married for six days. She reaches over with an iron grip, grabs my arm. I was on the shifter. She grabs my arm and she says, if you don't get me to the hospital, I'm going to die. Die? How did, how did we go from, hey, we're going to get our furniture to, you're about to die, and I'm responsible. I remember thinking, you know, I'm flooring that Mustang now. We are screaming down here, so I'm going, where is the hospital? I mean, it's nighttime, it's Bruton. You know, back in the old days, there's no lights, no big H signs on the side of the road or anything. I mean, we were just in trouble, and it was all my responsibility, just like that. And I remember that's a life-altering moment from going, wow, God. I got to do something, you know, and we skidded into a little gas station that was literally closing. They were shutting down the lights, an old, old man closing everything up. And he, I scared him when I came flying up in there. And, uh, but I said, my wife's, uh, she's, I don't know what's wrong with her, but she's about to die, and I need a hospital. And he said, oh, you're a hospital right down the road here. You just go down the oak tree and turn right, there'll be a long dirt road, and it'll turn, come right out into the back of the room. Like, really? That ought to be fun. <laughs> You know, but by faith, I took him at his word and found the oak tree and turned on the dirt road. And we showed up at uh, Lurleen B. Wallace Hospital and went into the emergency room. You know, I, I really scared the guards because I came over some medians and grass and all kinds of stuff in that Mustang. <laughs> kind of parked in the non-parking grass bush zone of the emergency department and uh, helped her in and, uh, and got her some help and some pain medicines and stuff and um, she had some, some kidney problems, and it was just hurting her so bad. And it scared her and scared me. But it was life-altering. I'm like, wow, this marriage stuff's serious. I thought we'd just kind of coast along for a little while. But, you know, you're going to die every six days. That is not going to be okay with me. i got to be more responsible than that. So, wow. But, you know, you go through, you go through, you know, we went through the birth of our children. And that was life-altering forever and ever and ever in a day. And uh, in a good sense, as you all know. Um, but, you know, it just changes everything. The man that lived across the street from us in Birmingham years ago, old, old man, served in the coal mines for years and had all kinds of black lung, could hardly breathe most days, and godly, godly, uh, good man. 
he used to tell me right before Josh was born, that was great with child, and uh, he used to tell me, he said, now, son, you think you understand love because how much you love your wife. He said, nothing to compare to the love you're going to have for a son. Nothing will compare. And I'm going, oh, you know, you're just an old, old man, you know, about to face God with all your coughing and all. So, yeah, I mean, I know, I know. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I was a young, stupid kid. Didn't know anything. He actually made me a 55-gallon drum. He got a big barrel drum, and he cut the lid out of it. And he called me over one day. He goes, I want you to take his drum over to your house. I said, what, what for? He said, oh, you need this drum. You're about to have a son. He said, you need this drum. What's that for? You know, I'm very curious now. And he said, I want you to put your head up in there every day, and I want you to say, Daddy, so you can hear how it sounds. <laughs> I'm going, that's just odd. You're just an odd fellow. <laughs> He said, you got to get used to it because he says once he can say it, he's going to say it a lot. And he sure does. So he sure does. All my kids do. But those are life-changing events. But here's the challenge that the Bible has for us. Do you know that when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, that grace moment is supposed to be a life-altering forever event for you? That's what Paul's emphasis is in multiple places in the New Testament. But in Galatians, he's saying, look... Grace is supposed to free you to be a on fire, can't wait to serve God and help others person. That's what grace is supposed to free you up to do. And not only are we saved by grace, this is very important that you get this. We aren't just saved by grace, we're sanctified, made right with God and made right in our daily lives by grace. You will not become sanctified if you try to figure out how to follow laws of the Bible. Do you start making a list of Old Testament laws and New Testament laws and say, you know, the Bible says you got to do this, the Bible says you got to do that. Man, the Bible says you got to do this. And you start making this list of laws. All right, today I'm going to obey all these laws. It'll never work. It can't work. You have to go back to grace, and the whole issue is grace. So I want you to go to Titus chapter 2, where Paul's trying to teach Titus and Timothy these lessons as they build up churches. Titus is in your New Testament under the T's. There's the Thessalonians and the Timothys and the Titus is all wrapped up together. And at the end of that is Titus. And chapter 2, I want you to look at verse 11 with me. It says, For the grace of God, that's our word, the grace, the free gift grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. We're saved by grace. We get that. Our north side, boy, if you don't get that, you need to be in some remedial something because that is the truth and we know it's solid here. We're saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. But what does grace do? Now he uses in chapter, uh, one, chapter 2 verse 12, he uses a participle saying this is the ongoing deal that grace does instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our, glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to purify for Himself a people of His own possession, zealous for good deeds. If you just catch the... And I don't have time to give you the whole deal today, but you just catch the edge of this passage... Paul says we're saved by grace. Now we need to be taught by grace to serve by grace. That's what we need to do. We need to be taught by grace to serve. Look at the end. It says we're zealous for good deeds. I can't wait to do something good to help somebody today. I just can't wait. 
So we see, how does grace sanctify me? How is grace going to make me right with God? I can understand how following the Old Testament law would do that, because the law is how God wants us to live. So here's the food I can't eat. Here's the way i got to dress. Here's the music I can listen to. Here's the place I can go. Here's the timing of that. Here's, here's how we need to sacrifice. There's all that detail. But how, does, how in the world does this broad concept of just overwhelming love, how does it instruct me? I want you to see grace is first. How does it help me sanctify me? Grace is first your instructor. It's a Greek word that means your teacher. It's the word that's really used of how a father is supposed to be training and teaching children. Uh, fathers are given in, uh, pass in Ephesians chapter 5. Fathers are, are told that we need to train up and teach our children um, and, and invest in them a discipling and disciplining behavior. That's what we are supposed to do as fathers. And we have some great dads here that have, that have been great examples of that. But Ephesians chapter 6 talks about that. Fathers training their children. That's the word that's used here of what grace does to every one of you. Grace is your trainer, your teacher. You know, I don't, I don't know how to even... What is it? You have to pay attention to what grace is. You have to listen to the, the thanksgivings that we gave here. Everything you have. Literally the breath, in, the, the air in this room, the breath you're taking, the beat of your heart... Um, the text in your Bible, the pen that you can make notes with, every bit of that is a gift from God. Because, and we have guests today, so I get to do this for fun with guests. But where was your pastor supposed to wake up today? Where am I supposed to wake up today? Say it out loud. I'm supposed to go to hell. That's right. Uh, they say that up to me all the time. But that's where everybody's supposed to wake up. Because none of us are good and none of us are righteous. We're supposed to be in hell. So anything less than hell is grace. And your day... Well, you woke up today with lots of grace, with, with drinkable water and, and, and air conditioning or heating and with, with comfortable clothes and a sanct Man, there's just grace, 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 grace just poured out on us right here. Great testimonies and great singers and a fairly average guitar guy trying to help lead them. And you had all this grace and a chance to go, oh, God, we love your cross and we love the, the word of God and we love the the body of Christ and the shed blood, we give you thanks. We sing thank you for all that you've done. That's grace that you get to do that. Grace, grace, grace. It's your instructor. You've got to ask yourself, what's it trying to teach me? Well, here's what the Bible says. Grace instructs you to do two things. To say no to the old way of life and to, uh, to your flesh and your old nature and to say yes to the Spirit of God. You can just put all that up, Mary, if you hadn't. Yeah, teach us to say no to the desires of my flesh and to say yes to the Spirit of God. That's what grace does. And you say, well, I don't understand how, how I'm supposed to let grace do that. I'm going to go back over it with you one more time real clear. You need to spend as a Christian an enormous amount of time around the cross. You need to study the cross of Christ. Study the greatest grace moment in all of eternity is the cross of Christ. And you need to let everything in your life go back to the cross and say, I am a cross-centered Christian. Nothing in my life matters except for the cross. And without the cross, I get no grace. With the cross, I get all grace. And so I need to get totally focused on that. And when that happens, when that happens, grace will become a school teacher to you, literally an instructor to you to say, you need to deny ungodliness because it doesn't line up with the cross. You need, to, you need to follow Christ and lead your neighbors to Christ or just show this person that's in a mess in your neighborhood, show them enormous amount of kindness because of the cross and because of the kindness you were shown. The cross will instruct you in every bit of that if you'll spend time there. I promise you it'll wear you out 
with the need to do that. And it'll keep you from being angry at times and frustrated at times. The world pushes us to have power and possessions and prestige and comfortable, good life and all that. The world pushes all that on us. And the cross says, how about just follow God and let God lead you into a place that's filled with joy and hope and peace. Let's learn to say yes to the Spirit of God. Now, I want you to go back to Galatians for just one second and show you where we're going. So you don't think I'm just making all that up and it sounds good to preach. It's the truth. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, your freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing. Verse 13, how am I going to do that? I'm called to freedom. Don't turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Next paragraph, verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Let the Spirit of God be your God. Well, how am I going to do that? By Focusing on grace and letting grace become my instructor, I get instructions from the Spirit of God. And the rest of this chapter, which we'll study throughout the rest of the week, or the rest of this month um, in December, we'll study um, the rest of this chapter is all about what the works of the flesh and the Spirit of God, the difference that the Spirit of God makes in a person versus the works of the flesh. Now, I want to just show you one quick thing. We did these last week, but it's very important that you catch them before we're done. First John chapter three, verse one. I want you to see that grace is not just an instructor, it's a motivator. Grace isn't just your instructor, it's a motivator. By the way, the Apostle Paul and John, who we're reading his writings now, these guys were brilliant with their Old Testaments. They were scholars of the Old Testament. They knew the law very, very well. They could quote large portions of the law out loud. They had sat under tons of great law teachers in their childhood and youth days. And Christ came along and taught them to follow Him fully. And in the process, um, they got genuinely saved. And so when they're trying to help a group of people that they're writing a letter to, a church they're writing a letter to, or the followers they have, John, that he's writing a letter to, they're trying to help them deal with purity issues. They're trying to help them deal with sin issues You know what they could quote, don't you? Tons of law. They could say, here's the morality of God's design in the law. And here's, now that you're a Christian, take that morality stuff and plug it into your life. They could have done that. They could have said the principles of the morality of the law belong right here to help you be righteous and pure and clear in your thinking. That is never how the New Testament writers did it. Every time they mention you being a righteous, pure, God-honoring person, you know what they do? They point to the cross every single time because grace sanctifies. The law, remember what it says, the law kills. The law will will condemn ourselves to death if we try to add up to the law. But if we just look at the cross and go, oh God, you love me so much. I do not want to continue to take these pills. I do not want to continue to fight this depression Uh, The wrong way. I do not want to continue to be hateful and angry in my heart because you love me so much. I want to be different. So I'm going to spend a lot of time with you. Let you show me how to do that. Grace is what motivates us. 1 John 3, verse 1. Let me just give them all to you. Whoever believes it. Oops, I'm in 5. 3, there we go. See, behold, all capital letters. Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us. So John says, look. At the love of God, that you would be called the sons of God. Look at that closely. 
I just dare you this week. I dare you to spend the whole week thinking about the first few words of that verse. All week long, every day, go, I need to look at God's love that he would call me his son. Nobody in this room deserves to be a son of God, a child of God. Nobody does. But he calls me his son. Behold that. And then you skip down to verse 3. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. That's the word for holy, by the way. Our holiness is not dependent on a list of rules. It's dependent on looking at the Father and looking at the cross and looking at the love that says, I want you to be mine. And so my son's going to have to pay for that. He's going to die on the cross to pay for your sins. How does, the, how does the Father call me his son? He sends his son to the cross to pay. That's how. And when John wants you to be right with God and live right, he doesn't point out the law. He points out the cross. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 6. We did this one too. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Tell sweet Blakely I'm almost done. Just hang in there. I hear her. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Be a perfect place for Paul to just pull out his law book right here. In chapter 6, he's mentioned all kinds of of, um, issues that the Corinthians have, all kinds of sin that's there. Um, all kinds of problems they're having. He gets down to verse 18. He says, um, flee immorality. Every other sin that's committed is outside the body, but immorality, uh, 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 the immoral man sins against his own body. And he could go, and the law says, and he could quote Deuteronomy, Numbers, Exodus, tons of Bible verses he could quote from the Old Testament. It's not what he does. He's telling these rebellious, carnal, carnal, Christians in Corinth, flee immorality. Do you not know that your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, how did that happen, Paul? Verse 20. For you were bought with a price. He, Paul's saying, hey, flee immorality because you were bought. Not because of the law. See, you're covered by the law. When you were bought, he covered the law for you. Flee immorality because the cross matters. I've had so many college students that struggle with immoral thoughts and immoral issues. And I used to tell them, you know, one of the greatest things you can do for yourself, study the cross at length. I mean, really get close to the cross. Recognize how personal the cross is. Crystal said it very well. It's a personal relationship that started at the cross. God and you started at the cross. That's where he said, I can have a personal relationship if I'll just let my son die for you. So you study it closely. And I told those college students, you know what you need to do with your computer that you struggle with all these sites you shouldn't go to and all that? You need to put a cross picture on there. And if you, want to put, if you need to put a, you know, a, a Mel Gibson uh, Passion of Christ bloody cross picture there, I guarantee you, you can't have that as a background and start looking at all kinds of junk. I guarantee you can't do it. You're going to have to delete that picture, move that picture away. I used to make these little cards with crosses on it for my college students, and I'd tell them, put this on your TV, put it on top of your TV. And it had, a, it had some of these verses we're reading, and it says, you know, the, the cross is the greatest moment in your life. You put that cross picture with that cross card on top of your TV, you won't watch junk. You'll move the card first almost every time if you're in love with the cross. You'll move the card first every time. I've had students come to me and say, I can't, I can't watch stuff I used to watch with that there. I have to take it down and watch it and then put it back up. And I'm going, you know why? 
Because the cross is a holy, sanctified place for you. So let's figure out a way you won't take it down now. Let's duct tape it to your head, you know, whatever we need to do to get that through. But the cross is what does that. Romans chapter 6, we talked about this in detail, so I'll just mention it to you. And then I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter, last verse of the day. 1 Peter chapter 1. But Romans chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Chapter 6, verse 1, God forbid. How How shall we that died to sin... Still continue in it. And then he says, don't you know that Christ died on the cross in your place? To the Roman churches, he says, Christ died in your place. That's the correction of your sin issue is the cross. You don't need a list of rules. (coughs) You need to fall in love with the cross. Now look at this last one, 1 Peter. I'll find 1 Peter. I know it's in here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's trying to tell us how to have a, uh, a holy relationship with God. We're actually commanded in verse 13, gird up your minds for action, keep sober in your spirit, fix your hope on the grace of, to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. That's his return. As obedient children, don't be conformed to your former lust which were yours in your ignorance. So here's a whole list of rules. We can say, hey, there's some pretty strong rules there. Don't be conformed to my former stuff. You know, I've got to protect my mind. I've got to focus on heaven. And then verse 15, here's the highest one. This is a command. It's in the command tense. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Just like Jesus. You be just as holy as Jesus. You've got to be kidding me. How am I going to ever do that? Now, there's a beautiful theology to this verse where the, the actual text of the verse, the command is in a passive voice, which means I'm going to make you holy like Jesus as you follow these other little principles that are all surrounding this. But you know what the principles surrounding it are? Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you address the Father... Uh, If you address as father the one who impartially judges you according to your man's work, conduct yourselves in fear. How? Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of the Lamb. You know what Peter says? I want you to be holy like Christ. You're commanded to be holy like Christ. He's going to help you do it. You be holy like Christ, but you better get your focus right. You better remember that you were redeemed with the blood of the cross. That's how we help each other grow in our faith. You want to see Christians grow up and not fall away? You want to see more people in the mission of hope and, and those play, the haven of hope? You want to see them stay solid? you got to connect them to grace and the cross. It's the grace message that changes people. You teach people grace and it changes them every time. Grace doesn't remove our accountability. There's a lot of people that say... Of your church, just all that grace, grace, grace. There's no accountability there at all. They can just do whatever they want. No. Not if it's the real grace. Because the real grace says we love the cross, and the cross means everything, and I'm going to change because of the cross. Grace doesn't remove our accountability. Grace highlights the cross of Christ as our ultimate accountability, and it teaches me and motivates me to follow Christ. And I put the quote up for you at the end. It's, on, it's in your notes. Maybe you can go back one and let them fill that other one in because they've got it in their notes. Your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. That's Jerry Bridges, by the way, in a book that's fantastic, a book called The Discipline of Grace. 
Um, your worst days are never so bad. You're beyond the reach of God's grace. In other words, he can reach into whatever mess you've made. You know that? But also, your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace because God's grace is what sanctifies us as Christians. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening today.